If I were to give everyone a piece of paper and ask you to write down a couple of sentences about how you're feeling as we run into Christmas and then collect all those pieces of paper and do some analysis, I'd imagine I'd come across the word tired quite a lot, uh, as well as the word busy, uh, perhaps the word stressed, a tired Busy, stressed, anxious, pressured, overwhelmed. That's how many feel as we approach Christmas and the holidays. It's supposed to be a season of peace and joy, but it can be quite the opposite. Uh, There's a lot happening at this time of year. Uh, Lots of functions to attend, especially if you're in paid employment and have school-age children. It's hot. And that adds to the stress. And then there is the pressure that many feel when it comes to preparing for Christmas Day, purchasing gifts, organising a family get-together or two, uh, dealing with people's expectations. Uh, Some are filled with dread when it comes to Christmas lunch and that mandatory family gathering because the family doesn't always get on with each other so well. And then when you turn up at church in December, you have the pastor making you feel guilty for not focusing enough on Jesus. It's terrible, really. Now, maybe none of this resonates with you. You're feeling rather relaxed and looking forward to a peaceful time. You've got some nice things planned and it's all positive. And if that is so, praise the Lord. Now, I did a bit of research this week using that ever-reliable resource called the Internet... And I discovered that, according to a Roy Morgan study, for 7.6 million Australians, Christmas is the most stressful time of year. A study in North America found that Christmas is considered to be one of the six most stressful life events, along with divorce, moving house and changing jobs. In another survey of over 3,000 people, 86% reported that they find buying presents to be difficult and 65% reported Christmas shopping to be a stressful experience. And then finally, in another study, 45% of respondents said that they dreaded the festive season. Uh, Maybe Oliver Cromwell was right all along when, as Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland, he banned the celebration of Christmas. If only the Commonwealth had succeeded. What Christmas has become is a regular topic of conversation among evangelical Christians at this time of year. Uh, We bemoan the commercialisation and perhaps we regret uh, that we're drawn into it. We can see the season being hollowed out. It's increasingly becoming a kind of generic holiday. That's more about having a good time and about reflecting on the person and the event it actually commemorates. There are a lot of negatives about Christmas, that's for sure. But there are a lot of positives as well. And in my mind, the positives still outweigh the negatives. Uh, Just one example of that happened in this room last Sunday. Uh, We had people attend our service who wouldn't ordinarily do so, and they heard the life-giving good news of Jesus Christ. 
But given what Christmas has become and considering how people often feel at this time of year, what you tend to hear in churches like ours are sermons about the real meaning of Christmas. Uh, Sermons that will take shots at the culture and call Christians to focus on the birth of Jesus and its significance. This morning I'm going to bring a kind of real meaning of Christmas sermon, but without bagging the culture too much and with a slightly different spin on what we should do, and not just at this time of year, but all the way through. Maybe for some here today this is just the medicine you need. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago, but I'd like to read it again. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 19. Please follow along as I read aloud. Then we'll pray and commit our time of preaching to the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed. Everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, The shepherds said unto another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this very familiar passage of scripture. Thank you for this wonderful story of the entrance of your son into into our world, into human flesh. I just pray that you would make uh, our time together considering him very sweet and encouraging. Please instruct us. Please bless this time of preaching, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the time the shepherds returned to their fields, Mary had experienced an awful lot, hadn't she? (laughs) Just hours before, she had given birth to her first child, and that's a monumental experience in any woman's life. She'd had to travel from her home in Nazareth to Bethlehem, not an easy journey. 
And of course, before that, she'd had to deal with the highly unusual circumstances of her pregnancy. It was an unplanned pregnancy unlike any other. Mary had been visited by an angel who announced to her that she would become pregnant by the special operation of the Holy Spirit, that she would bear the Son of God. Mary had to work through all of that. And then her beloved fiancé, Joseph, was also visited by an angel to inform him about this pregnancy. Ordinarily, there's a lot to take in when, as a couple, you become pregnant for the first time, but this was at another level altogether. And then here in Luke chapter 2, after the baby is born, in less than ideal circumstances, a whole bunch of shepherds turn up wanting to see the child. They said they'd seen angels in the sky who declared that the Messiah had been born. The text doesn't tell us, but I suspect Joseph and Mary allowed the shepherds to come into where they were staying and see their child. One wonders what the conversation must have been like. If this had all happened in Australia in the 21st century, I'd imagine after the shepherds left, uh, Joseph would would have said to Mary, well, that was very interesting. I think I'll go and put the kettle on. I can imagine the couple sitting at the kitchen table, quietly sipping their tea, somewhat bewildered by what had just transpired. In verse 19, we're told how Mary responded to all of this. I want to park here for a while. Luke tells us that she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. All these things that had happened, these extraordinary events, she kept them. In the original language, the form of the verb indicates a continuous action. She kept on keeping these things. In other words, she didn't forget. It wasn't a case of, wow, that was interesting, and and then she moved on. No. Mary remembered all that happened. She went over it again and again, What she'd seen, what she'd heard, what had taken place in her life over the last nine months. And the text tells us that she pondered them in her heart. I love that word, ponder. I don't think we do nearly enough pondering where we're we're too busy. We're not very good at it. Again, the form of this verb indicates a continual action. She didn't just ponder the significance of what had happened once. No, she ruminated on these things regularly. And that's another good word, ruminate. It comes from the Latin word that means to chew over. Now in the original language, this word ponder is very interesting because it basically defines itself. It tells us exactly what it means. The Greek word, which I won't try to pronounce, literally means to bring together. That's what Mary was doing. Bringing all of these things together in order to understand what had happened and who exactly her baby was. There was what the angel had said to her, what the angel had said to Joseph, what had happened to her cousin Elizabeth, her journey to Bethlehem, the visit of the shepherds and what they had said. She endeavoured to pull all this together in her mind. She thought, she contemplated, 
She meditated. Further on in this chapter we see Mary respond in the same way to another event. uh, The only one from Jesus' childhood that's recorded in Scripture. It's a familiar story but we'll take the time to read it. Uh, Look down please at verse 41. Luke chapter 2 verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And here it is, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Again, the verb form of this, uh, sorry, the form of this verb indicates a continual keeping, not just a a one-off occurrence. Now this is a different Greek word, albeit from the same family, and it's actually more intense than the one in verse 19. It carries the idea of thoroughly keeping. These sayings, what, what the child Jesus said about being in his father's house, Mary was diligent to remember. She was careful to keep it, careful to think these things over. I suspect she added it to all the rest. Here was some more information. Mary continued to ponder who her child was and what he was going to become and what he was going to do. I actually think Mary was a very good ponderer. I'm not sure if that's a word, but you know what I mean. I think it was Mary's habit to think about things, to contemplate, to meditate. I'll tell you why. If we go back to Luke chapter 1, we have recorded Mary's visit to her relative Elizabeth. As soon as she entered the house, Elizabeth broke out in praise because she recognised the significance of the child Mary was carrying. Verses 42 and 43, And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Upon hearing Elizabeth's outpouring of benediction, Mary responded with praise of her own in what is known as the Magnificat or the Song of Mary. It runs from verse 46 down to verse 55 and Steve read it to open our service. The most outstanding feature of Mary's song is that it is saturated in biblical language and imagery. There are references to texts in Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, the Psalms, Isaiah, Habakkuk and probably more. When Mary opened her mouth to praise God, his own word is what flowed out. And what does that tell us? 
It tells us that she, even as a young woman, as a teenager, had been in the habit of meditating on the Scriptures. Now Mary probably didn't have a copy of the Old Testament at home, but she would have heard the Scriptures read in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Perhaps her parents would recite portions at home. Uh, Certainly when the Jews prayed, they prayed the Scriptures. Mary heard the Word of God. She committed it to memory. She turned it over and over in her mind, such that when she offered praise to the Lord on this occasion, it was in the words of Scripture. There's something else that Mary said that tells us that she was a good ponderer. We find it over in John chapter 2. You might want to turn over there. John chapter 2. Now what we're about to read, I think, represents the fruit of all her contemplation. In chapter 2, John records the first miracle that Jesus performed. Again, this is a very familiar story. It took place at a wedding feast. Jesus turned water into wine. We won't read the whole account. I want to, I want to focus in on the very first part of the story. Reading from verse 1, John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. There's a lot that could be said about Jesus' response to his mother, and I'll keep that for another day. What I want you to notice is what Mary said to the servants. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, you make sure you do it. Now perhaps this was just a mother sticking up for a son. (laughs) But I don't think so. I think this was much more than that. I think Mary, after all those years of thinking and meditating, after all of those years trying to bring everything together in her mind, had come to understand who her son was. Or at least she was beginning to. She certainly recognised that he was very special, very capable of doing amazing things, even though he hadn't yet performed a miracle. She knew he ought to be obeyed. She knew he could fix the problem at the wedding. What would we know about Mary's son if we spent half as much time thinking about him as she did? Now brothers and sisters, I believe Mary shows us what is often missing at this time of year. She exemplifies the lost art of pondering. Taking the time to think over something to think deeply, to meditate. Now we can be so busy running around to get to this event and that function, we can get caught up in all of the good things that accompany the celebration of Christmas. We can even involve ourselves in all of the religious elements, attend the services and sing the carols, but never actually think about the birth of Jesus and about the Incarnation. We can involve ourselves in all of the the doing of Christmas and yet at the same time fail to really consider Christ. 
this time of year, outside of a church service, how often have you taken just two or three minutes to think about who Jesus is and how he came and why he came? Maybe as you were driving somewhere or doing the housework. How often have you ruminated on this remarkable thing that God was made flesh and dwelt among us, that the Creator stepped down into His creation? How often have you let that thought turn over in your mind and sink down into your heart? I think it's safe to say that we are living at a time and in a culture that doesn't encourage contemplation that doesn't encourage much thinking at all. Uh, We live in a world of instant information, a world of quick answers. I mean, who hasn't asked Siri? (laughs) Who, Who hasn't immediately gone to Google? Technology moves us from one thing to the next to the next with great speed. We're losing the ability to be still, to be still in our Minds to be intentional in our thinking. I, I sense that happening to me. You know, I'm pointing the finger at myself as much as anyone else. The modern mind is restless. The modern mind is flitting. And this is bad for Christians. It really is. To broaden this out, we are called as the people of God to be ponderers. And not just at this time of year, but always. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Many of you know this verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Present imperative. The Apostle is not making a suggestion. Uh, This is not Paul's personal recommendation. No, this is a command. We are called to be thinkers, to, to think and keep on thinking on these things. Be intentional. Paul says, be deliberate, ruminate, contemplate that which is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous and praiseworthy. It occurred to me in my study that to think on Jesus is to do just this. For he embodies all of these things. He is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, Virtuous and praiseworthy. It's a very simple exhortation this morning. Don't fail to think about Jesus this Christmas time. And think about him outside of church. Think about him outside of your personal devotions. Think about him while you're driving, while you're out walking while you're enjoying the beauty of his creation down at the beach or out in the countryside. Think about him as you're on the back porch in the evening having a cup of tea. Think about him while you're doing the dishes or wrapping presents. Think about his coming into this world for you and for your salvation. 
Do what Mary did. Ponder all these things in your heart. In the order of worship, I've put a little paragraph from one of Augustine's sermons. It beautifully expresses why the Son of God came to earth. And I put it there simply as a help, as fuel for meditation. You might like to pull it out this week and read over it, or find a short passage of Scripture. Let it direct your thoughts to Jesus and who He is and who He is to you. May God bless our pondering this Christmas time. And may God bless you.